You're listening to Sex and Love with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. This series focuses on all topics related to sex and love, both here in the U.S. and around the world. My goal is to not only showcase sexually empowered people, but also give a voice to the challenges many face due to the taboo nature of sexuality in many cultures. so excited for today's interview. I am joined by Dr. Evelyn Stollart, who is a Dutch sexologist and psychologist based in Amsterdam. She owns a sexology practice called Evelyn Stollart Sexual Health and is involved as an expert in various Dutch media, including nationwide TV and newspaper, and is the sex and relationship expert on the Dutch version of Married at First Sight. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, hello. You know, I started this series and in part because I'm so interested in shedding light on various cultural norms around sex and relationships. And, you know, I think probably here in the U.S., the first thing that comes to people's mind when they hear sex in Amsterdam is the red light district, which we'll get into. But I want to save that and begin by talking about just in general, the Dutch sentiment or feeling around sex, because it's a very progressive, liberal country when it comes to sexology. And I think that starts from a very early age, just in Mm -hmm. the sex education around youth. So could you maybe start by talking about that a little bit? Yes, of course. Yes. Um, Yeah, I think it is uh, common that every uh, boy and girl gets some first information from their parents when they are, I think, somewhere from seven to 11. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they get uh, hopefully uh, a book uh, from their parents with a suitable education uh, about sexuality. Yeah, often uh, that is, of course, uh, difficult for the children. So at school, uh, there's also, um, there are different moments. They have there already uh, in springtime, they have those kind of information when the, the birds and the bees and, and, yes. and the, 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 the little, uh, all the little animals get born. And then you already have the playful information about that. And later on, there's also in the biology lesson, there's a lot to learn. And there are even condoms that are put on things. So it's yeah. it's pretty okay. I think we can still do much better uh, in Holland with uh, sexual education. But I think uh, we're doing a, a great job uh, in that. Yeah, and of course, uh, there is the, the whole thing that um, in Holland it is allowed to, uh, to smoke weed. So mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of young people start doing that. And of course, we can also start earlier, I think, than in America with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes us also also earlier in youth um, experiencing those things Mm -hmm. and therefore also maybe earlier in sexuality. I can imagine that that is one of the reasons. And yeah, I think all parents tell um, their children that sex is something that you can enjoy. Right. And I think that's a good thing. And of course, not everybody does. Mm-hmm. But in, in essence, it's a, it's a thing that you can enjoy. You're allowed to enjoy it. Yeah, you don't necessarily need to uh, keep it, um, how do you say, for after marriage. Mm-hmm. It's all fine uh, if you're just going to explore and uh, have it in your own time. 
So that's a bit how how we see it in Holland and it's something, yeah, joyful and and fun and uh, light. Yeah, I think you hit on a few key points. And one of the most important being that this is not a one-time conversation that happens at school. Like here in the US, a lot of times there's like a one-time conversation that happens maybe in fifth or sixth grade and it's about periods. And it's a lot of times usually very fear-based. There isn't much information, especially where I live in Texas on comprehensive sex education. So a lot of kids never get instruction on how to properly use condoms or anything like that. I also heard you say that kids are getting information both at home and at school in various formats. There is conversation and dialogue. There's also books given. Um, But I think generally what probably makes the Dutch model stand out against the U.S. model is that it's very pleasure-based and focused, a positive light set on sexuality. And I know you said a moment ago that some sexual practices may start a little bit earlier, but one study I read said that a lot of kids end up having their first sexual experiences around the same time as kids here in the U.S., And I think that there is a fear that if we start the conversation too soon, that it's going to make kids want to have sex earlier. But first of all, we don't really find that to be true in in the research that I've read. Second of all, I think we see the benefit of comprehensive sex education in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. One study found that only 11.8 girls are getting pregnant per 1,000 girls compared to 72.2 pregnancy per 1,000 girls here in the U.S., So that's quite a big difference. I think kids are, they're much higher rates of condom use. And so say there's room for improvement, but compared to what we have here in the U.S., (laughs) you guys are a model to us. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's good to hear. But uh, yeah, that's so, uh, such a big difference. My God. Definitely, definitely. You say that that's sort of always been the case in Holland or is it something that's evolved in the past few decades? I'm curious the evolution of that and how that came to be. Yeah, for sure. I think um, uh, I'm now 39. I think my parents were a little bit more hesitant, a more bit, uh, how do you say it? Um, Conservative. Mm -hmm. Um, So then it was more school and it depended, it depended on your parents if they were like liberal or not um but it got better and better and better and yeah i'm also one of the people who's uh, rooting for uh, that it gets even better also information about porn and all those things that are new in uh, these uh, days um that is so important Uh, yeah i think it um, it evolved uh, for sure so it was more conservative but not really really different not big difference i think okay okay so tell me a little bit about how you came to be a sexologist and what piqued your interest (laughs) in the field i'd love to hear your story Yeah, well, my story is I studied uh, psychology in Maastricht in the south of Holland, and um, I really love that, but I'm a really happy person, a positive person, and uh, I found it a little bit heavy all the time about depression and anxieties, and of course, that's a big part of of the study. And at a certain point, I had um, a trimester um, uh, sexology, and I was like, oh, but this is something that people underestimate, like the yeah. effect that it has on a relationship, mm-hmm. on your well-being, on your quality of life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but I want to help people with that, that they can see like, hey, if you have that 
in a well in a well way can i say mm-hmm. then it gives your life so much more quality so i saw a little something that draw me to that yeah. like i'm gonna do this this is my mission mm-hmm. um so yeah so i i pointed my um my uh, things everything on that and yeah. from then on um, I worked at several places at a rehab and at a, um, at a hospital as a sexologist. And at a certain point, I was like, okay, but now I'm going to have my own practice and do it myself. And that was the point I wanted to achieve. And I did. And I'm really happy uh, exactly. um, yeah, to do that every day. And I want to show everybody that there should not be a taboo. And even in Holland, a lot of taboos still on sex. So yeah, yeah I hope to get that a bit of loosen up uh, the more and more. Definitely. So first of all, to your point about, I think you're right. When sex is good, life is good, right? And I think that sex is so life affirming and it's so important for a relationship. And when people feel sexually satisfied, they tend to be happier and feel their lives are more meaningful and anxiety goes down. And so I think it's a really interesting window into the human psyche and opportunity to, you know, help people with a part of their lives that's so fundamentally human, Mm -hmm. yet still something that a lot of people have feelings of shame around. Generally speaking, there's a lot more acceptance around sexuality in the Netherlands compared to here in the U.S., which is still very puritanical. So what kinds of issues do people come in with? Yeah, most of the people that I see struggle with uh, loss of desire, uh, if I can say it that way. So they have difficulty with all the things in life that they want to do well. And they also want to have that great sex life, but they feel that it is all too much and they have stress and they have children and yeah. and they also have to do that part of sex. And, mm-hmm. and that um, gives them yeah, a little sex drive. And yeah. um, then the balance is not there anymore in the relationship. And they come to me and they want um, they want it to be different. And I see that this the most in my practice. And the funny thing is that it is not all women that have issue because it's so typically that we all say like, oh, but the women, they do as sometimes have difficulty with desire. But no, it's also men. And yeah. I think it's really great that men have the balls to go and yeah. get some help uh, from a sexologist in that and just say out loud like okay i have difficulty with that too and mm-hmm. um yeah so it's um both men and women who struggle uh, with this yep. problem a lot yeah. i would imagine in holland where there's more gender equality that you probably see even more of a split because there tends to be more equal distribution of household responsibilities and child rearing and so like here a lot of that still falls on the mother's shoulders or the woman's okay. shoulders and so there's probably I see more men with low desire than people might think, but I would imagine there just because of gender equality, you probably see an even more even distribution. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that people dare to get help. And and I think that also gets better and better. Um, they hear about it more on social media and they're like, hey, hmm, maybe that is something that I need to change or need to work yeah. on. And uh, then they get help. And I'm so happy with that, that people do because it gives them so much um, um, relief, like, oh, there is help and there is a solution. And, uh, I'm so happy that they all go out the door with a big smile and the motivation to work on it. So that's so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's what makes our work so gratifying and fulfilling, I think. Yeah. 
So tell me a little bit about what relationship trends you're seeing in the Netherlands. My understanding is that people aren't getting married as much as they used to, that people are Mm -hmm. opting for like legal partnerships, which is different in some ways than marriage. Can you talk a little bit about why you think, you know, marriage might be on the decline and what the difference is between a marriage and a registered partnership versus just cohabitation? Yeah, I think in Holland, uh, the more and the more uh, women have the feeling like, okay, but I want to be equal to my partner and I have my own money and I have my own things and uh, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And um, when they get married, it's uh, a lot of women don't see the value of sharing everything. And, and yeah, we had a system for a long time that we all had to split when people get uh, divorced. A 50-50. But I think since a year or something that is gone and that, that makes a difference for people because then they say, okay, it's fine to marry because we have our own money and then we can just uh, keep that in, in that kind of sense. I think the, the registered uh, partnership, registreerd partnerschap in Dutch, is it is a less romantic way, but it's fine. And for a lot of people, they're like, yeah, this is fine for us. And we put our money on other places and um, a bit of modern feeling like like I'm not stuck to someone. And if it's not for life, then yeah, then, then it can be also. What is the key difference between a registered partnership and a marriage? With marriage, you just do the pledge, like okay. for better, for worse. Oh, okay. And you have more the, the, the bond. Hmm. And I don't think there is much difference in financial stuff hmm. or that kind of way. But it's all like in your head that it's more a bit more connected. I'm married too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's beautiful to to give each other the vow to always uh, work on a, a relationship and not to leave each other uh, very easily. But mm-hmm. a lot of people, I think, yeah, especially in Holland, they think a little bit modern about that. Mm-hmm. And they're more like, yeah, but if, if it's not that for me anymore, then I just leave. And so it's easier okay. to quit the registered partnership than to quit a marriage. Then um, it's yeah more difficult and cost more money, that kind of things. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So people are having this attitude that, hey, I think we're living longer and this might not be the only relationship I have for my entire life. Let's be realistic yeah. and you know yeah. get the legal yeah. benefits yeah. of marriage without the romantic long-term promise. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of people say, uh, well, I want, I'd rather spend my money for my children mm-hmm. than for a big marriage. And uh, everybody is really okay with that in Holland. So that's, I think, why people just feel free to choose uh, this or that. But yeah, you see more in Holland that people choose also for open relationships. Now, most of the time, those people are not married, but then they're saying like, hey, it's okay to have someone or to have sexual contact with someone else. It's interesting, you know, I've been doing this work for about 15 years now. And when I first started, maybe once every six months, a couple would come in wanting to explore the idea of non-monogamy or open relationships. And now I would say it's a conversation that comes up at least once a week that people are curious, you know, um, to explore that. So it sounds like you're seeing the same trend. For, For myself, I'm always like, yeah, what you feel that you're um, happy with is the best. And if you can have a balance in your relationship, because I think that's the most important, yeah, yeah then it's fine. But it's, yeah, it is, it requires a lot of good, uh, um, good conversations and right. good uh, rules for that, I think. Yes. And that is not always the fact, uh, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. 
Yeah, I think people underestimate how important communication and boundary setting and rule making is to do that, you know, without hurting anybody. So you mentioned that you work on, you're the expert for the Dutch version of Married at First Sight, which I didn't even realize there was a Dutch version. And so despite this trend towards non-monogamy and registered partnerships, it still sounds like there's a group of people who want to get married and are struggling to find someone. So I'm I'm curious about that group of people as well and what you see. Yeah, I think there are still a lot of people who want to marry from religious reasons, but also just from the romantic kind of way, just the the picture and then the big uh, wedding gown and the vows. Um, But what I see from the program is that a lot of people struggle with, um, with dating with always falling for the wrong person or the same and then they end up in yeah in difficult situations but we have tinder i think that is common also in america mm-hmm. and uh yeah tinder is uh, in holland it is really a superficial way to connect with people because it's often about sex okay. and uh people who are really searching for um relationships they sometimes find a relationship with that but often they get um, people who are just on the search for a booty call. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, people uh, struggle then uh, a lot. Yeah, they sign up for married at first sight because they trust in science mm-hmm. to give them the right person. And they don't trust themselves anymore to, uh, to find one. Yeah. Uh, so they trust enough. And we every year we have a lot of new people who uh, apply. Uh, also this year it was again a lot. But they're all like beautiful and nice and sweet yeah. and great so i'm like why but yeah i i'm happy to uh to help them uh, find a, a great hopefully perfect uh, match yeah yeah they just need a little expert guidance i think yeah there's a lot of that's what my my colleague here says as well that these are wonderful people who a lot of them have just had bad luck yeah i'm really happy that i'm part of the show because yeah. a lot of people say it's insane but uh in holland i don't know how it is in america but in holland it's really pure people are not um casted they're not um models or they're not oh. um actresses mm-hmm. and uh, they really want to have uh, fun love person. and they're not paid and and they get real really married in holland yeah so in a lot of countries it's fake but in holland it's real so it's, it's a big thing that sounds like a lot of fun so yeah let's sure. talk a little bit about the red light district because i think that's what amsterdam is most well known for And I think that's probably what a lot of our listeners are most curious about. So what would you say, first, let's say, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about prostitution in Amsterdam? Yes, that's a good one. Well, I think a misconception is that yeah, it's difficult because it's so different. There are girls who are really happy in what they do. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, this is my choice and I pay for my rent like this and I'm happy and I'm all fine. But still there is some hidden heaviness and 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 there, there, there is still... Um, like a darker side to it. Yes, for sure. A darker side. And, and there are probably still uh, women doing this against uh, their wills. And that's the, the darker side that I'm often thinking like, oh, my God, yeah, that's also going on. But I know that uh, the government and, and, and the mayor of Amsterdam is really uh, having their rules up and really um, looking very strict on everybody. And so I think it's a lot less already. But still, if people want to 
be bad in those things they can. But I think the majority of the red light districts are women who are really happy in what they're doing, happy that they can earn their money this way. And yeah, everybody their own uh, their own taste, I think. Oh, definitely something yeah. for everybody. Are the majority yeah. of the workers Dutch or would you say they come from other countries? It is around 50-50. What I see is that it's also a lot of tourists who use uh, the women, or can yeah. I say that, who go to the prostitutes, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also a lot of Dutch men. And I don't know if you see it a lot in your practice, but what I hear a lot from my clients is that there are a lot of clients that are porn addicted, mm-hmm. and then they have like the prostitutes as their extra a shot of dopamine because uh, the porn gives you give the brain so much dopamine mm-hmm. and then they go and search for those prostitutes to give them that extra great yeah. feeling mm-hmm. um so that is what i hear often in my practice um that those guys go to the prostitutes and uh, yeah that's a little bit of a new uh movement uh, that i see um yeah. for using prostitutes yeah so tell me what your feeling is about prostitution generally as a sexologist and what's your general sentiment around the profession it's difficult because i of course i would only say do it when you really want it and when you have like when you enjoy it and not for the money and not for the outcome and and maybe some say uh, i enjoy it every minute As, as a sexologist i would say it is beautiful if you can combine love and sexuality Um, and for some people it is just lust that is also okay I think but I rather um, have them enjoying it Mm -hmm. and I hope that that is the case so that is what I'm thinking like oh I hope that they're safe and that I know what they're doing and uh, yeah on that level yeah it's 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 fine that it exists and it's one of the oldest jobs that uh, that they're uh, I think it will always exist exist and uh, that's fine but uh, yeah. I hope they uh, they stay healthy I think that's interesting yeah. what you say because there's you know there's a lot of conversation here in the U.S. around the decriminalization of prostitution in the hopes that decriminalizing it will help these women have more access to health care and have more protection. I think that there's a lot of fear around reporting violent crimes because women are afraid that they'll get in trouble for doing so because they're yeah. breaking the law themselves. And, you know, people think too that sex trafficking will go down significantly if there's decriminalization, which it sounds like all of that has happened in the Netherlands, yeah. but it's not a hundred percent. And there are still yeah. women who are probably having sex against their will. And is it primarily women working in the red light district? Or are you seeing there's probably something for everybody? For women, no, there are only the, the gigolos. And uh, those guys, they are here, um, but you have to uh, call them, I think, or order them online. But maybe I, I, I'm not uh, aware of it, uh, but uh, I don't think uh, there are uh, mills behind the, the red windows. That's interesting. Yes. And what I understand about the red light district is it's actually one of the safest areas in the city now because there's such a high police presence to try to protect the women. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of police there. But it is also still very crowded. So uh, it is still uh, a hotspot. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, some people are just only uh, checking out and just luring a bit. And other people, uh, yeah, enjoy it uh, a lot. So, uh, yeah, it's it's such a double way of, uh, yeah, what is going on there. 
Yeah. yeah. I've only visited Amsterdam once. And of course, being a sexologist, I had to take myself to the red light district just to check it out. And it, it was a little bit different than what I anticipated. It was very crowded. You could tell there were a lot of tourists and a lot of people just kind of gawking at the women, which, you yeah. know, is a little bit hard to see. Yeah, sometimes I feel sorry for them, but I don't think that is necessary. I'm always imagining like, how would their day be? But yeah, that is, uh, we pro- probably cannot uh, imagine uh, that. And it's it's more like like uh, factory uh, work, like uh, one by one by one. Yeah. Do you have any um, that you've treated in your practice? Yes, yes, I treat, yeah, yeah. But they're more like uh, cold girls, so mm-hmm. more girls okay. at clubs. Um, yeah, they had difficulty because then they wanted to have a relationship mm-hmm. next to their work and that they, they found really difficult to combine that. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, but it's really good that they get help for that, but yeah. not a lot, but some, some do. And, uh, yeah, that seems to be the biggest issue is that they're trying to navigate how to have a primary romantic relationship alongside working as a cult. Yeah. And from the brain, it's a whole different way of having sex to to be only uh, having um, a performance or really making love so you said that the primary issue you treat is loss of desire which is the same you know that I would say I treat as well generally speaking though with the more progressive attitudes in the Netherlands around sexuality what do you see in terms of people feeling hung up about sexual desires that they might have or specific fantasies or kinks? Do you see people struggle with that very much? Or would you say there's wider acceptance for a variety of sexual interests? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of taboos on those uh, things that are not in the normal like mainstream yes 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 mm-hmm. so um i think that's that's what people do that we all want to be normal we want to we want to be part of a group mm-hmm. and we all want to be somehow a bit the same so if that's not it i think we all feel yeah different and if feeling different can sometimes be yeah not not so great so they struggle and some people are really tough and they just say okay it's this and i love it and it's great but I think the majority of the people really struggle with, yeah, fetishes and, and things that are just not being normal mm-hmm. in that sense. And um, I often think it's a pity because it's something that from youth on, you it got into your system and it gives you probably a warm and, and great feeling. And mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people can integrate it in their lives if you just try to find the best way. I hope for the future that people own it more like, hey, this is a part for me and it's okay. And uh, but yeah, that takes time, I think. I'm surprised to hear that. I would have thought that people felt freer sexually. And I also see that with, and that's maybe also interesting. I don't know how it is in in the USA with, with masturbating. There are still a lot of girls in Holland who have the feeling that masturbating is a thing that you do if you don't have sex with your partner and not huh. enough, or if you're um, if you're sad or alone, or uh, but not when you're just having uh, your relationship and doing it next to your so uh, to your partner sex. And that's such a pity. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're living in in Holland, and come on, oh, uh, right? I do my best to get it out there. Like, please do it because it's healthy and it's good and it's. Mm-hmm. It is only making you a better 
partner in, uh, in bed. And maybe an interesting thing to know is that in Holland, if you have the, um, I don't know how you call it in English, but if you have the pelvic, the pelvis, mm-hmm. um, you have like uh, the vulva, the vagina, you, you all know that has the same names, I think. Uh-huh. But the, the vulva, the, the in front, so more against the pelvis, we call it in Holland shame area, scham, schaamstreek. Wow. And it's so horrible. So it's from way, 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 way back. Call it literally, if you yeah, if you translate it, it's called shame area. And that's such a stupid word. And it's still in our dictionaries. It's still the only word we use um, if we talk about our vulva or vagina or the front and mm-hmm. sort of pelvis. The yeah. whole area is, is schaamstreek. Yeah, shame area. Wow, and I am then, shocked to hear that. Horrible. Is there a push to change the name or advocacy against that language? Yeah, there have been a lot of people who said that, like, please give it a different name and just call it the way it is, like Volva or yeah. um, but yeah, it's it's really I think in our in our culture and in our language, and it's it's stuck there. A difficult thing. Yeah. Well, I'm learning so much today that maybe it's not as progressive as I thought it was in things are changing for the better, but it's not quite as advanced, I guess, no. as I believed. I, th- I think everybody says that from Holland. And if you're living in it, then it's like, yeah, we can do better in some points. So we'll wrap up with what would you say are your top three tips for finding sexual fulfillment? I'm going to leave that very open-ended. What would you say your top three tips? My top three tips. Well, I think if I see it in a, in a relationship way, I think that you mean that. Mm-hmm. Um, that I would say it is so powerful to make an effort for each other. Um, because I always compare it with um, uh, a painting on the wall. Mm-hmm. You bought well, you bought it at a certain moment, and at a certain moment, you don't see it anymore. It is there every day, but you don't see it. You just don't stop and look at it anymore and just take it in. So making an effort to see and hear each other and to see what the other one needs and to just take some time and quality time to, to make an effort to be open to sexual cues, to the whole broad sense of, of, of making an effort. It's not only to put on the lingerie. No, it's to really see and hear the other person. And of course, second, yeah, it sounds a bit boring, but it's communication, communication. Right. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And not only in a relationship, but I think also between friends, tell the other person, like, I have difficulty sometimes it is not always so easy. Do you struggle also with this and this and that? Yeah, you can give the other person the feeling like, hey, I'm not alone. Or she's also having problems, so it's not so bad. So please do talk yeah. and communicate. The third one, I I've once read it, that there is a lot of strength in sharing memories with your partner. Mm-hmm. So if you like share that. memories about a really great moment where you had a really great laugh or a really great sex or that kind of things, if you share that again with each other and just, um, yeah, re- relive it a bit in your head, then it works through with your hormones and all the things going on in your brain. And that gives you an extra uh, great feeling together. Yeah. So do that once in a while mm-hmm. and you will see that it has a lot of uh, lightness uh, to come mm-hmm. with it. I think that's the most important thing to do. And we said it before, please enjoy 
never have sex for another person. Have it for yourself, for your pleasure and enjoy it and be light. I think at a fundamental level, sex should be about mutual pleasure. And it doesn't need to be perfect. It can be messy and strange and goofy. Maybe something you laugh about, you know. Yeah, as long as you get happy of it, then it's great. Yes. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure talking with you. I, I hope to visit Amsterdam again in the future. And when yes. I, I will definitely call you so that we can get together. Let me know. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much that I was in this show. Uh, right. And yes. good luck with everything. How can people find you? Do you want to share your social media or your website? Yeah, people can find me on Instagram, Eveline Stallard. Um, but if you Google me, uh, sexologist Evelyn, Amsterdam Evelyn, uh, you will find me for sure. I'll, I'll so, put the link uh, in the show notes as well. You're always welcome, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Sex and Love with me, Dr. Emily Jamia. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend or partner. I release an episode every other Monday. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dr. Emily Jamia. If you and your partner are struggling with emotional and sexual intimacy, check out my online workshop available at www.emilyjamia.com. See you guys next time on Sex and Love.